Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Becky. And this is How to Not Get Killed. What up? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) The like head movement you were doing during our little silence there. Yeah. Remember, guys, remember we say that like we say that our podcast and then we dance we like wait in silence to allow drew to put the intro music in yeah and but in silence we like silently fist pump and like dance around yeah Yeah. but you just did like a funny like turtle head bob i don't know (laughs) it's good i liked it (laughs) turtle (laughs) turtle turtle it's just you know we just like to jam out every chance we get even when there's no music especially when there's no music (laughs) i make my own music i'm kind of when it comes to music (laughs) an artiste if you will honestly sometimes like luke will come into the kitchen and i'm like making food and i'm just like just then he's like there's no music on though and i'm like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah i'm food dancing at that point yeah i always dance when i get excited to eat food you know what happens is, is like I'll just like make up a, a dance move and I'll start going. And this is how I know that Drew is my soulmate is <laughs> I, I'll be singing a song in my head that I won't have expressed to him that I'm singing in my head. But he somehow based on the moves that I create is always able to guess what I'm dancing to. Ooh. It's that's it's just like the only reason why we're together. That's like, impressive. <laughs> it is yeah. pretty <sighs> impressive. Pretty impressive. I can't remember what song it was the other day, but like I was dancing to it. And I was just like nodding my head. And he was like, oh, yeah, you still like nod along to this. And I was just like, how did you know that was what it was? Like, it's not as impressive if it's let's get down to business every single time. It wasn't. It it wasn't. It was something where it was just like, how do you know? Like, I literally was like, who allowed you into my thought? Just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is 99% of the time. Let's get down to business. But, you know. Fair enough. Yeah. At least he knows. Yeah. He still knows you. The other one we've been singing a lot lately, not dancing to because you can't really dance to it, is do you remember that episode from Spongebob when um, Spongebob is uh, singing about the Krusty Krab pizza and he goes into like full ballad mode and he's like, Krusty Krab, like goes on like so deep about it. We've been doing that a lot lately and it is fucking hilarious. (laughs) I'll like share a clip from it. It's it's beautiful. And like the guy is. who plays SpongeBob, like it's it's gorgeous. Wow. Like it's he should be a singer. <laughs> it's gonna be back. like his it's wedding so, song. I know, honestly, like yeah, the day Drew and I like do get married, that is gonna be our wedding song. You're gonna walk down the aisle to it. Crusty cry. <laughs> it's so good. I'll play. You're it gonna like that. hire a band and be like, okay, but like our only request is that you know how to play this song. <laughs> honestly, I'd be so okay with it. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> So that's a good one. Fantastic. Yeah. Just got to start out each episode on a positive note. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because it's about to get real dark. Real dark. Yes. Well, I don't know this case, but I'm going to assume it's real dark. It is. Um, So this was recommended to me by my friend Heather, who is also one of our loyal listeners. Hello, Heather. Hi, Heather. Hi. Shout out to Heather. Thanks. Thanks, Heather. If anyone watches Life Life in Pieces, thanks, Heater. (laughs) I don't watch it. Okay. So. Well, anyone who someone no, I'm sure lots of people got that, Becky. Okay. Don't worry. It's a really well. You know what? If you watch it, it's a good show. I've heard it's great. It's actually really funny. Sorry, but thank you, Heather. Yeah. So Heather recommended this case. Um, it is local to Ontario, which is the province we live in, mm-hmm. and it takes place in the in the Muskoka area. So, mm. so just for anyone who's not from here, um, Muskoka is 
kind of like a geographical area. I don't know for sure if it's like a county or if it's just like an area. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm what unsure. is Muskoka? <laughs> what is? Is. It's like, because it's, it's I like it was a city, but I, it's not. It's like, no, it's an area that's comprised county. of a lot of towns and cities or not really like big cities. It's all small towns, really, that it comprise what we all refer to as cottage country. Mm hmm. It's a place north, uh, you know, probably starting two to three hours north of Toronto where it's like woodsy and cabins and a bunch of lakes and everyone goes up there in the summer to like canoe and just like get away and have bonfires like live it up like it's awesome. Yeah. But Um, also in the summer driving there, such a bitch. The traffic (laughs) is just brutal like literally half the time we can see it from our house because it's like yeah well especially around <laughs> here once you get up to like muskoka area it's all back roads and everyone's kind of going to a different place so it's yeah. not as bad but like but it, but from new market to Barry and yeah. aurelia yeah you might as well once you get past aurelia in. yeah it's better but because yeah. i have i have family who live in huntsville which is kind of where right. this case takes place right around huntsville um so yeah we spent a lot of summers going up and visiting mm-hmm. and you know, again, like the canoeing and kayaking and just like all the outdoorsy the stuff, stuff and the fun stuff. So it's actually um, National Geographic named it one of the top 10 places to visit in the summertime. That's how in like the world. Yeah, I guess so. That's pretty cool. I don't know That's- if it's in the world or if it's in like North America, but that was that's pretty cool. They they named it that. So <laughs> it's just been named that. So it's, deal with it. If you don't like that title, too. National Geographic back. loves and Muskoka. What, and what Nat Geo says, <laughs> Nat Geo goes. <laughs> so it's, so so yes. Um, that's that's kind of the vibe. Is that it's like this? They're made up of all these quaint little towns, yeah. and it's all very woodsy and just cottagey and comfy. And, that's it's cottage country. Yeah. So that's what people of the area know even we go up to cottages in the summer we've been up there it's i've been known to it's, tour up there once yeah. or twice <laughs> it's again like a lot of there's a lot of campgrounds and stuff too yeah. algonquin park yep. so there's a lot of people that go up there just to like get away in the summer there's lots to do in the winter there too it's just there's less you, to do. the more north you go the more snow there is yeah so it's like if you like you know like hardcore winter sports and stuff like there's lots to do up there they've got the muskoka brewery drew's favorite brew yes brew beer i meant to say beer but i said brew yeah my dad loves fucking deal with it my dad loves the muskoka detour yeah 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 drew likes the cream ale Mm -hmm. loves it yeah yeah i like the tread lightly that's my favorite from i haven't tried that one oh my god it's so good because it's like a nice light beer it's yeah, very sometimes summery, I find like, the detour is a bit too hoppy for me. I don't, I don't like the detour. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a detour fan. But the tread okay. lightly, I could chug those. Mm-hmm. And by chug, I'd sip, sip delicately. <laughs> <laughs> like a flower. Okay, continue. So, so sorry. okay. So this place starts, uh, this case kind of like starts out with a woman named Joan Lawrence. So Joan Lawrence was born in Ottawa in 1921. And in 1940, at the age of 19, she began working as a freelance writer for various newspapers in Ontario, such as the Toronto Star and the Ottawa Citizen. And she also was known to write a lot of poetry. Oh, beautiful. At the age of 26, she was fired from her job uh, in advertising for apparently trying to write a book while she was supposed to be working. What? (laughs) That's that's just a tidbit of information. I don't like that. See, that's what I don't like. She should have been able to have her own creative flow going. I know. I know. Um, In 1943, she married an army lieutenant named Burton Gamble. Okay. The two were only- That's a fucking name. That's a good name. It is a good name. Lieutenant Burton Gamble. I mean- Yeah. Yeah. 
It sounds really charming. Yeah. I don't know the it, man, but... <laughs> isn't the word lieutenant supposed to be lieutenant? Isn't that what Mike told us? Oh, yes, it is. Lieutenant. I think about it all the time because oh, I'm always like, I'm never going to say lieutenant. Such lieutenant. a screw up. Lieutenant Burton Gamble. I'm never going to say it. It's lieutenant. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. You're, you're unfortunately wrong here. <laughs> um, no, he's definitely accurate, but we're saying lieutenant. Deal with it. <laughs> Come at me. Yeah, fight me. Actually, uh, no, he's so strong. <laughs> Okay, go on. So I'm so sorry. So later in life, uh, sorry, she they were married for six years and then they got divorced in 1949. Okay. So they weren't really married for very long. No. Just a and fun later, little first marriage. Yeah. Later <laughs> in life, Joan moved to Toronto to care for her elderly parents. Okay. And after they both passed, she re- relocated to Huntsville, Ontario in the 1980s. Okay. There mm-hmm. are some accounts that say she moved up to Huntsville as early as the 60s, but I think that was later because it took a lot of research to actually find out all of this information about Joan's life. Okay. I think they later found out that she had spent more time in Toronto than, then. and she moved up to Huntsville in, in the eighties. Okay. Joan lived as a bit of a transient, like homeless person and became known as the cat lady in Huntsville because she would take in unwanted and stray kittens and oh. around the community and feed them and care for them. Oh my heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. so she was very much to a lot of people in town. She was known as the cat lady. OK, Um, but uh, like people who got to know her and everything like n- knew her name. Yeah, it's just that's why that's what they referred to her as, because she just ha- took in. She never turned away a cat, basically. OK, that's so sweet. Yeah. Yes, I know. Oh, you she said was, that like, no, you're just wait. Uh, I know. OK, she was. Described as looking unkempt and almost always carrying a bag with cat food in it. Um, No one knew exactly where she came from. People in the community almost couldn't remember a time when she wasn't wandering about. If you asked her a personal question, a lot of people said she would usually change the subject or ask you a question to deflect away from it. Oh, she's so private and sheltered. Yeah. Okay. They said she was usually of a happy disposition and seemed like she had all of her faculties about her. Like a lot of people were like, she didn't really seem like, de- like unhinged like delusional or, yeah. or sort of like, like suffering from any sort of dementia or anything like that. Like that she was like aware all put together. and she yeah. was capable, but she was just a transient who, who took just in a lot living of cats. a different lifestyle. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. Yes. Um, in 1997, she moved into the Cedar Pines Christian retirement lodge in Emsdale, which is about 20 minutes north of Huntsville. You said 97? 1997. Okay. Yes. Just trying to remember. And so, so Huntsville is, I would say, probably the, one of the bigger towns in the Muskoka area. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's kind of all centralized around Huntsville. And when she went in, when I say she went into town, she was going into Huntsville. Right. Okay. But a lot of these retirement communities were, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes away on the outskirts. Um, So the Cedar Pines was owned by a woman named Catherine Lan and other members of the Lan family. Okay. She also, they also owned another facility called Fern Glen Manor. That was located in Sprucedale, which is about 10 or 15 minutes west of Emsdale. So both of these were a bit north of Huntsville, but again, in the general area. So Joan moved in. Later in the year, she they moved her onto a farm owned by Catherine's brothers, David, Walter, and Paul Lan. And this farm was located about 13 kilometers southwest of Huntsville. 
Okay. And and it said that it's I think it's speculated that because they didn't she had so many cats and she kept taking cats in that they were like, you can't live here with all of your cats. But my brothers own a farm and you could go and live there with them. Okay. Because it's a farm and that might be more yeah. suitable. Yeah. That's kind of what it's implied. Um because it says that she had dozens of cats at this point. Dozens is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I a, think I've read other. A dozen is a lot. Yes. I think I've read other accounts that said around 30. Like oh, there was a lot dozens. of cats. Yeah. That's dozens. That's multiple dozens. Yes. <laughs> so Joan, they moved her to the farm. She rented an eight by 10 foot shed oh. on the property okay. for $600 a month. Oh, that's really small. Yes. And that's a lot of money for 1997. That it, I, for, that's actually a lot of money for a shed because there was a point in time where my rent was only like yes yes yeah exactly between her old age security and her pension she was getting roughly nine hundred dollars a month oh my god that's so she used the leftover three hundred to feed her cats okay as most people said she would feed them before feeding herself oh and she would sometimes just get food from the food bank for herself oh. So when people say, like, we always saw her carrying bags and stuff, I guess some people also called her the bag lady because she always had a bag, but they were like, it was almost always filled with cat food. Okay. Yeah. She's just doing, like, a public service for those kids I know. There. I know. She's like the local bubbles. Yeah. 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 So in September 1998, um, I guess after she would would have been living there for over a year at this point on the farm, a social worker had heard about Joan's living situation from working with a client who also lived on the property. So there was some other residents that lived okay. on this farm. Farmland, yeah. I think in like other shed shack type situations. Yeah, like buildings. So one of them had talked to a social worker and she had heard about the conditions on this farm. So she had reported it to the um, to Detective Rob Matthews, who was part of the OPP at the time. So Rob Matthews and a local fire chief investigated the shed. They said they couldn't enter it due to the strong smell of urine. Mm, there was no toilet, heat, or running water. And she's paying $600 for it? Yes. It wasn't even insulated. It would be so cold. It, yes. Like, guys, we, we experience extreme cold weather here in southwestern Ontario. And this is, like, for I live, like, it's five hours six, north. Like, yeah. five to six hours north. Like, it's extremely cold in the winter. Yeah. Extremely cold. We're getting down to like negative, like 20, sometimes. negative 30 is like probably normal. Because like we in Southern Ontario have hit negative 30 before in our lifetimes. Oh yeah. Like in Southern Ontario, Easy. we would have maybe one or two days a winter that would get down to like negative 30, negative 35. That's extremely cold. Yeah. We well, just like had this, a cold We just had a cold has front. been negative 23, right? Yes, like, exactly. So freezing. we're talking like way north of that. So much more snow, much colder. Yeah. And this was an uninsulated shed with no running water, no heat, no bathroom. Oh, and she was paying $600 a month, oh almost God. all of her money. So they said the floor was covered in newspapers that were soiled with cat urine and feces. Oh, my God. And, and Joan, th that smell would be very strong, too, and it w would make you ill. It would make you sick. Yeah, it would. for sure. Um, they said she was walking around in her bare feet inside the shed. Oh, no, no. Adult Protective Services were immediately notified and began searching for a place for Joan to live. Um, but when Rob Matthews returned to the property with a health inspector, he was told that Joan had been moved to a small town west of Huntsville. Okay. So he goes, okay, so I guess they moved her because this is not suitable. 
But in November 1998, two months after the police had been alerted, Joan disappeared. Okay. So when the, when she disappeared, people in the community really did notice this because she had a highly predictable routine and people were used to seeing her all the time, like yeah. just all the time in town, almost every day. Yeah. Um, that's really the only thing she did. She would hitch rides into town and she would, yeah. most people refused and just drove her into town for free. Yeah. Um, because again, like she was kind of like a fixture in the community. People knew her. Yeah. She'd been around a long time. So people were like, this woman is harmless. Like she just takes care of her cats. Yeah. And like, Mind if you want to chat with her, you can chat She's with her nice. kind of thing. She's very private, but Again, like she just people would give her rides into town or she would walk. Like, uh, I think I'm trying to think like. Well, you said it was my aunt was saying something about depending on where she was staying. Like it would probably I think she had said six or seven kilometers. But I Which think it's that certain, would take a while. But if she was living on the farm and she walked, it said it was 13 kilometers from Huntsville. That's so a I think hours. Yeah, it's quite a walk. So I yeah. think especially in the winter, like people would pick her up and drive her and things like that. But that's that's what she did most days so yeah. when she stopped doing that people were kind of like where did she go that's strange yeah you, you don't just like up and leave especially when you don't really have anywhere else to go and people were also like are her cats still there because she would never, never. have left her cats were the cats still there i'll get to that okay oh shit Haley. Yeah. so alan marshall was a 57 year old man who also lived on the lamb farm and had become friends with Joan because they both lived on the property. Yeah. So during a visit from his probation officer, Alan said he hadn't seen Joan in at least three weeks, which was highly unusual. That's a long time. And his probation officer then reported Joan missing. So a man named Bob Earl, who has been sought out as a witness much, much later in this case, but I'm just including it now because this is where it fits in the timeline. He stated hearing gunshots around 7 a.m. on a day around the time when Joan went missing. He was a lumberjack who lived across the lake from a property that was considered, he kind of said it was like considered an unofficial dumping ground for locals. Okay. He said it was very, very foggy that morning and he brought out his binoculars and he saw two silhouettes for sure. He thinks maybe a third, but he was like, it was really foggy in in the area like across the lake from where he was okay and a couple hours later he said he saw a fire and he thinks a shed being burnt down he said he saw silhouettes dumping something on the property okay and he didn't say anything at the time but he said almost a year later he was arrested for being drunk in public and apparently he had self like he admits that he is like people just kind of look at him as like a drunk like yeah. whatever like he just i guess is had an alcohol problem for a long time mm -hmm. so he was arrested for being drunk in public and he tried to tell the police what he saw but he says they didn't really give like, him any credit because they just didn't find trust him your local drunk right yeah like, exactly yeah unfortunately so the investigator assigned in locating joan was opp detective aaron burke okay. and she spoke with a law clerk who said that joan had been coming in to file a report to take to the opp she said joan would stop by every couple of days to see how the report was coming and the, cl the clerk hadn't seen Joan since letting her know that the paperwork was ready to be picked up. So she let her know. She's like, it's ready. You can come and pick it up. But she, she was like, I haven't seen her since. And she was constantly checking to see when it was ready. So yeah, that's kind of strange that like it was ready. And then yeah, and this she's was paperwork not here. She was like anticipating. Yes. 
So Xander Sherman um, is an investigative journalist who began looking into this case in 2014. And he spoke to a woman named Linda who worked as the deli manager at the local AMP where Joan frequented to pick up food for her, cats mostly her herself, cats. Yeah. And I guess some sometimes for herself, but sounds like not very often, just her cats. So Linda got to know Joan well because she would just start conversations. Yeah. She was in all the time. So she she did get to know her pretty well. And in a discussion with her in the fall of 1998, so remember Joan went missing in November of 1998. So this was a few months before. Okay. Joan had stated that she was freezing to death where she was living because the only heat source she had had been a small portable heater plugged into an extension cord and that had broken and her landlords wouldn't replace it. And on another instance, Linda says she saw Joan approach a man in the store and watched her hand this man a very large amount of cash. She's like, I just remember it was a lot because she just kept handing him bills. Like he just like had his hand yeah. out and she just kept putting bills into his hand. And I was like, wow, that must be a lot of money. Yeah. And for reference for our American listeners, we don't in Canada have bills less than $5. No, the, we don't. one and $2 Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Ended yes. a long time ago. And, and at this time... It wouldn't have been like our colored bills that look like they would have all looked monopoly money. Yeah. So they would have looked. So it would be hard to tell. It would be harder to tell back then whether they were twenties or hundreds yeah. or fifties. Now well, you would be able yeah. to tell by the color because like our twenties are green, our fifties are red, and our hundreds are like goldy yellow kind of thing. But back then, it yeah. you wouldn't know exactly unless she could see that they were yeah fifties or hundreds. But she was like she was standing there for a long time and handing him a lot of money even if it was all fives let's like, say it was a still, lot of money yeah up. yeah like either way so just figured I'd that's a, no that's out. a really good point i didn't even think about that because <laughs> like, at first second i was like okay there's gonna be an american listener that's like oh well, like oh just, could just, just hand like him like 13 dollars and ones yeah yeah exactly but so that's a good point so um another conversation between joan and linda revealed that joan hadn't received her income tax check yet okay which so she asked Linda if she had gotten hers and Linda's like, yeah, I got mine months ago. Like you should have gotten yours by now. Cause this is the fall. Yes. Right. So like you get that usually March. Yeah. I was going to say like in the spring, March, depending on when you do your taxes, you depending should always on, do them early. But. Yeah. Like <laughs> you should <laughs> always do them early. Spring at the latest, like early summer. So this was like September yeah. by this point. I think she's the like, latest I've ever gotten, gotten mine was like June. Yeah. She's like, you should have gotten it by now. Yeah. And I guess Joan had alluded to the fact that she was afraid that her landlords had taken it. Okay. So the missing check of $744 is what Joan was going to inquire about in the report she was building with the law clerk. Okay. Because I think Linda was like through conversation. She's like, you should really look into that. Yeah. That's not. That's not good. Correct. Yeah. They like if they yeah. did that, they can't get away with that sort no, of thing. That's illegal. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> Linda also remembers Joan telling her a story about one of her landlords, Ron Allen, who was the uncle of the four siblings I stated before, which was Catherine, Walter, David, and Paul. Right. Ron Allen is their uncle. Okay. okay. So he also was involved in this and I don't know if he had ownership over some of the properties but he definitely lived on the farm and was like considered one of the landlords okay so she remembers Joan telling her about Ron Allen stepping on one of her cats get shut the fuck up yeah sorry I should have had a trigger warning yeah, but for me, like like <laughs> yeah there is a there is a bit of animal cruelty in this case. Why you waited until what we're like 25 minutes in <laughs> where me now called I'm the cat lady okay yeah but it's the disappearance of the cat lady, not the brutal torture of all of her kitties. 
Yes. Yeah, I okay. understand. Okay, fine. It's, okay, I'm prepared now. I'll just the these cats didn't get the best care anyways because Joan like know, could only do so much for but them. She right? was at least trying her best. She was trying. Oh, of course. I'm it's not. I'm not, not faulting her. That but all of our listeners get to get the trigger warning and they get to close their ears, and I have to be subjected to this. <laughs> sorry, Becky. It's okay. I'm it's sorry. Okay. I get it's, to be sassy. It's there's fine. not a lot of it, but okay. there there's a couple of instances of animal cruelty. I'm ready. So Ron Allen, the fucking devil that he is, Piece of shit. apparently would like like he I don't know if he did this a lot. She talked about at least one instance of him like taunting her by doing this, like just sort of like getting a kick out of it and her just like begging him to stop. That's that's sadistic. Yes, that's what I mean. Like that's that's sadism for sure. Like, yeah, you're, that's like you're, you're getting like, like sexual pleasure out of it. Like, that's yeah, disgusting. like she basically said, like, it looked like he was enjoying it, like taunting me by hurting one of my cats. I and- will skin this person alive. Mm hmm. Let me add him. So Detective Aaron Burke got a call from Alan Marshall, which was the first, the, one of the guys one that lived the on the farm, year. right? And he informed her that around the same time Joan had gone missing, he had he had heard gunshots. So, so this, this is, is two people. This is two gunshots. people now. At this point, Bob Earl hadn't been spoken to. Okay. So Alan Marshall is probably the first person to, to report report it. that. But now we've heard from a second person who has also heard that around yes. that time. He said he heard gunshots and had observed a backhoe, which is basically like a digging, like a the large like digger yeah. machine um, being used on the property. Holy shit. So there's nothing else you can use that for other than digging a large hole. Yes. Yes. So so this is what. Just keep so that in mind. Aaron Marshall's now getting this, this report. So yeah. she's compiling witness accounts and everything throughout this process so on november 30th 1998 alan marshall came into the police station to speak with aaron burke in person to inform her about the land conditions and and like what it was like to live on this farm it was described by the manager of a homeless shelter in toronto as quote a desolate meager existence that was very soul destroying that's how he described living on this farm for that's like a pretty bold statement yeah i think this guy this homeless shelter manager in toronto didn't live there it's just this was his perception of the place that there were people that were lured from homeless shelters to live there oh okay which we will get into as well so he uh alan marshall said that after rob matthews and the fire chief had come to inspect the property joan was moved from the shed into a 1970s volkswagen van on the property and when the authorities returned a second time with the health inspector joan was still living on the property in this van but the land's uncle ron allen Mm -hmm. had taken joan for a ride just before so that she wouldn't be seen on the property and that's when they said oh no no we moved her to a different town oh fuck and after joan went missing alan marshall said the lands cleaned out her shed and burned her clothes he also said that trigger warning that ron allen explicitly told him that he had shot all of jones i'm gonna fucking no yes so this is what this is what ron allen had said at this point aaron burke got enough evidence to obtain a search warrant because she's like we need to get in there and see what the fuck is going on yeah so on december 17th police conducted an extensive search by land and air but failed to find joan alive or dead they found the volkswagen van she had been living in but it had been cleaned out and there was no sign of her anywhere 
what they did discover was that half a dozen of Joan's cats had been shot with a hunting rifle. So not- I will kill this person. I want it documented that I'm going to – that's not cool. That is – I know. I know. None of this is cool. It's so – it's so hard because it's very clear how much she cared for these cats. And, and she, to not she just her have her like, taken from them and leaving them alone, but that someone went back and – Went out of their way. Went out of their way to shoot some of them. Like that's horrific. Yeah. It's barbaric. It's sadistic. Like it's it's just so it takes a different kind upsetting. of person to like do something like that. To hurt an animal. Yeah. Just, like and not just like, oh, put like a dying animal out of its misery, but to like just be like, well, that one's perfectly healthy, but it's gotta go. Like that's yeah. not that's not Yeah. No, it's just ugh, it's I don't like that. Terrible. So they found a receipt for the purchase of an unregistered rifle, but it was a very recent purchase, and therefore they had determined it couldn't have been the, the murder rifle. weapon. If he had shot Joan, it would have been purchased after. Okay. So that's really all they found. They didn't find a rifle or anything that they could have linked okay. to even the shooting of the cats. Okay. So they, di- they just really didn't find much. Hmm. So Xander Sherman... The investigator I mentioned earlier also interviewed a woman named Denise who lived down the road from Joan and gave her rides into town frequently. Like I said, there was a lot of people who who did that. She said Joan would gradually begin to confide in her, much like she had with Linda. And Joan told her she was going into town because she had a post office box in Huntsville because she didn't want her mail coming to her house because she was afraid that the lands would take it. Okay. So... She also said she was too afraid to live inside the house because it was scary and unsafe. So I guess she had been offered been offered to live inside the farmhouse, but, but she had definitely been offered. It was said in other reports that she that Ron Allen had offered, oh, you can come in and take a shower if you want to, or you can come in and use the bathroom. But she was like, no, I would never go in there. Like she was terrified of him. Oh, no. I don't blame her. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you find out what he's done after. And it's like, well, he sounds like a freaking psycho. So in January 1999, Aaron Burke visited the land's other retirement homes, um, which I had mentioned earlier, Cedar Pines and Fern Glen Manor at the time. Mm -hmm. One of the residents at Cedar Pines, where Joan had also stayed before, was Eric Lan, who was David, Walter, Paul, and Catherine's grandfather. Okay. So their grandfather was staying at their retirement facility. And he spoke about his son, Ain, who would have been their their dad. Okay. Who had apparently died while digging a well on the property. And it had collapsed in on him. That was the story that everyone knew. But Aaron says that Eric Land kept telling her that Ain was actually murdered. And that someone had hit him on the neck with a shovel. And he kept mentioning Ron Allen throughout his story i don't know if she's implying that his story was a bit incoherent because like it just says she kept mentioning he kept mentioning ron allen's name but he he talked about his son as being murdered and i guess when she looked into it and tracked down an officer that had been there this was back in 1971 Mm -hmm. when ain had died um he said when they got there the body had already been removed there was no body there and so and no postmortem was conducted because there was no body so it was just ruled an accident uh, that's like really fucking suspicious so suspicious right like i don't know how 
I don't know who what... would be comfortable closing that case being like, must be an accident. Can't have the body. Like, I, I'd be I, like, I know. Oh, like, I don't know. So, there's some foul play here because there's no body. I don't know what, like, what happened, what course of events must have happened for them to just be like it must be an accident like i don't know how you as a police police officer get to a scene where someone calls and says oh someone's person. died don't worry we're taking care of well. the body but it was an accident trust me yeah like, like <laughs> and they get there and they're like where's the body like i like, just no, no, don't, no, don't know. worry it's an accident i got rid of it it's fine it's fine i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation but oh my god that's freaking it was just that's what he said that's he was like it was ruled weird. an accident so that's highly suspicious and Yes. puts Ron Allen further into a very suspicious role. Yeah. I'd so say. Aaron also interviewed a name, a man named Ralph Grant who lived at Fern Glen Manor. Okay. So that was the one in Sprucedale. Ralph didn't know anything about Joan, but not long after the interview, police shut down Fern Glen. The residents were apparently moved to the home of an employee down the road named Melina Simic, which okay. – Seems very strange to me. That's weird. How many residents? And like, why did they move into this person's home? And like, I, I just, it seems weird to me that they would just, they're going to shut it down. And then one of the employees is like, they can just come and stay with me. I'll take all 30 of these people. And yeah. Care for them. That's I don't, I don't think it was very many, like, because yeah, I these guess homes that. <laughs> were literally houses that okay. were turned into facilities. They weren't big buildings or anything. But with that being said, I think that there were maybe up to like eight to ten people living there. I was going to say at least ten. So yeah, like, it still was like a lot. It could have like it could have easily been like there's three or four people, and she's like, sure, you can come and live at my place. But it still seems weird to me that it's going. They're going to an employee's home as opposed to somewhere else, like another yeah, facility, like rehomed into you like know? other yeah. Apparently, she was like she worked at Fern Glen as a cook and a hairdresser for the residents. That's all it said about her. Okay. By the spring of 1999, Aaron Burke considered Ron Allen and his son David Lan first degree murder suspects. Okay. She believed Joan had been murdered to stop her from reporting theft, fraud, abuse, and mistreatment on the land property. Yeah, sounds about right. These are the this is what she's stringing together from the, inter the interviews stories, she's yeah. conducting and evidence she firmly believed that this woman was murdered so found out that david lan had a joint bank account with joan and had tried to withdraw money from it weeks after joan had gone missing ah uh, that's always suspicious mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. also don't just have joint bank a joint bank with account random like ass no. Oh, just. It took me and Drew years to have a joint bank account. And even <laughs> half the time, like, we're like, what'd you buy? That's what'd you so get? so personal. <laughs> yeah. Like, how? Well, I'll get into how that probably happened. But. Okay, sorry. In, no, no, it's okay. It's just like, the, that's so. When I read that, I was like, what? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Guys, always be cautious about who you're opening bank accounts with. Was, yeah. I know. Come on. In <laughs> November 2000, so this would be two years on now from when Joan had gone missing. Aaron Burke went back to re-interview Ralph Grant and tracked down Melina because she was told that went after Fern Glenn closed, he went to Melina's house. Yeah. Melina said she had been told that Detective Rob Matthews had relocated Ralph Grant somewhere else. And Aaron's like, no, no. in no situation would the police be responsible for re relocating someone. No, that's no, that's no. She's like, that didn't, that didn't happen. So, and Melina's like, well, he's not here. Then where is he? <laughs> exactly. 
So Ugh. now Aaron's realizing there's two people missing. Jesus Christ. And by July, uh, no, actually, that was November 2000. I think maybe this got mixed up in the timeline, but mm. at around that point or maybe a few months earlier, she had realized that three of the other residents in the land's care were actually missing on top of Joan. Holy shit. Yes. Okay, this is fucking suspicious as hell. So 90-year-old John Semple, 71-year-old John Crofts, and 70-year-old Ralph Grant were all missing. That's so not cool. Those are grandparents and like Yeah. Yes. No, that's not cool. All three of these men had been marginalized and brought up to the Muskoka area from homeless shelters in Toronto. Oh. So through some investigating on Xander Sherman's part, he found out that one of the brothers, I think it was Paul, I can't remember what he said, but one of, one of them would go down to homeless shelters in Toronto and surrounding area and pass out pamphlets to all of the homeless people trying to recruit them to come to their retirement residences and like talking about how like the pamphlets all had things in it where it's like day like day activities for the residents and like an in-house dietitian and like blah 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 and all this like using these as like retirement resorts or something like really 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 nice places to live and no and also they're really cheap i promise well no it's not it's six hundred dollars for a shack covered in piss and shit yeah yes (laughs) so and again, these houses like Ferngland and Cedar Pines were just houses that were converted. And then there yeah. was the farm as well. Yeah. So the police found out through interviewing many of the residences in the land's care that they were told the retirement homes were 15 minutes away from Toronto. Um, sorry. And then they put them in a car and drive them almost three hours up to Huntsville. That's yeah, that's more than 15 minutes. How disorienting would that be? How scary would that be? You're in the car. It would only take me maybe like being in the car for 30 or 40 minutes to be like, where the fuck are they taking me? Yeah. That's so scary. Holy shit. Yeah. And like, I don't know. These people are really old. So maybe they're like, did I get it wrong? Did they say, did I think they said 15 minutes, but they said 50, but then you're getting on beyond an hour and you're probably like, you're just freaking out. Like it's just. So they would make them when they brought them there. They would make them sign contracts that transferred over power of attorney and access to their bank accounts. That's that's so that's how this joint bank account situation happened. They would bring people in and they would coerce them into handing over power of attorney. And like that's like the most powerful position. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, my gosh, that's insane. That's crazy to me. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. So the police had discovered that although no one had seen Ralph, John Croft, or John Semple for a while, their pension checks were still being cashed. Holy shit. Yes. I'm not surprised. I don't know why I acted surprised. I'm not surprised. Not surprised at this point, no. But like, this is what they're building a case off of. Let me out this fucking cat killer piece of shit. I know. I know. So they continued to investigate and they figured out that John Crofts and John Semple had disappeared between January and March of 1998. Then it was Joan that fall of that same year in November of 1998. And then Ralph Grant went missing during the investigation in the new year of 1999. Wow. So within a year, four of these people went missing. Mm -hmm. And the lands had not reported any of them missing. So that... 
that's that was really suspicious to the police as well also they're like so i this is something we talk about all the time like if you're gonna be a criminal and you're gonna do crime you're gonna do that so you've already made that decision be smart enough to do things like if you're hoping to get away with your crimes these people should have reported them missing to be like, oh, can't find them, you know, because then it's like it gets the heat off your back. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be giving advice to people on how to properly do crimes, but it's just like. No, but I mean, it's but like are they silly. thinking that if we report them missing, then we can't continue to cash their checks? Uh, but see me, if I put myself into the shoes of a, a would be criminal, I would report them missing. I would report I'd, I'd still cash the checks. And if anyone ever questioned me, I'd be like, well, then they must be fine somewhere. Maybe, but where are the checks being cashed into? That's I'm not that's a good criminal. That's why I know, and that's why I'm like I don't know. It just seems like this whole thing was bound to happen in a way. Like it, it we'll we'll continue. Yeah, but that's just my shitty me trying to be a good. No, criminal. but it's, it's just good. like I I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know how they assumed that no one would care about these people because they specifically targeted people who didn't have any family, were estranged from their families, didn't have anyone checking in on them and just assumed that they would just go unnoticed. No, we're noticing. So the police eventually uncovered what they called a pension check scam that had been occurring where the Land family was cashing Semple, Croft, and Grant's pension checks along with seven other residents in their care. Some were still alive, some had been proven to die of natural causes and others had gone missing, which wow. is the three gentlemen and Joan. So that's fucking wild. Yeah. They they had accumulated enough evidence to charge them with defrauding the federal government of over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. In 2002. That's when this took place. Uh, so they had charged David Walter, Walter's wife, Karen, Paul and Catherine. The charges against David and Walter's wife, Karen, were dropped, but Walter, Catherine, and Paul all pled guilty. They were each sentenced to nine months, conditional sentence, being allowed to leave the prison for church as they all of these retirement homes were Christian retirement homes. Okay. They were apparently very active members in the Christian yep. community. And so that was put into their sentence that they were like, we have to be able to be allowed to leave the prison to go to church. It was quoted by someone as being the perfect crime in the way of recruiting elderly, marginalized people, taking them from their environment and placing them in an unfamiliar location and systematically defrauding them, Mm -hmm. which is, again, what we talked about as far as like they they strategically picked these people. Yeah. It's kind of like the same mentality of like when you're starting a cult and you literally target people who won't realize they're in a cult until it's way too fucking late. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and unfortunately, it's not that everyone gets older and everyone becomes so much more vulnerable to things like this, but it's it in a way you do if you are estranged from your family there's no one checking in on you you're probably desperate in certain ways if you're living in a homeless shelter and someone's coming in promising you a roof over your head food dandy life because it sounded like the pamphlets were like this is going to be a a perfect retirement for you all-inclusive resort and to like to point out like 
the really late 90s to early 2000s was like a pivotal change with like technology and yes. things were confusing no matter what age you that's, were. That's exactly what I was thinking too is sort of like cashing it, checks was yeah. probably confusing at that point because that's when things started to roll out like doing same day deposits for checks and, and shit with like bank that, accounts like, and all, and all the legalities legalities yeah. of it all you could Online easily be sitting there then, like, as a 90 year old person not knowing anything about it and someone sitting across you saying if you want to stay at this facility you, you have to sign this form whether they read it or not even if they read it and they're like wait i'm signing over power of attorney like you could make up any excuse be like oh well like if you say had a stroke and yeah. you were in a coma then we as yeah. a team would collectively decide what to do based on your wishes. Yeah. Right? Or even like, oh, I understand like the finances are getting a little bit more confusing. Like, don't worry, we'll take care of that for We'll you. take care of it. We'll cash your checks and then give you the money yeah. or whatever. Like or there's have it here so and- many ways you could convince and manipulate someone to sign these papers. Yes. That it doesn't so surprise me in any way that they, they managed to do this. Yeah. It, but at this point, the police only had enough evidence to charge them with fraud. But it still obviously didn't go unnoticed that four of these fraud victims were missing. Yeah. They were still very much focused on that aspect. Yeah. The police were definitely under a lot of pressure and they were treating it as a murder investigation, which I'm kind of impressed with. Like, I feel like sometimes you see um, police forces being tentative to call things murder investigations when someone's missing and they have no body. They don't want to. Yeah put certain connotations on the investigation but that that is a bold move but they had put a lot of resources into really trying to track these people down as far as maybe they did just move somewhere else or just go to a different facility so like they they checked and double checked and triple checked and they tried their very best Mm -hmm. to track these people down and see if they were still alive and just like living somewhere else but when you get to a point where it's like We've checked hospitals. We've checked other retirement facilities. We've checked we everywhere in the area. Them. Like, we just cannot find them. They've seemed to have vanished off of the face of the earth. That's, yeah. That's, and they were treating it as a murder investigation, which I think. But yeah. again, I'm just kind of like applauding them for not sort of beating around the bush there and just saying like, look, this is too this suspicious. Is what it is. Like, this is probably what happened. Yeah. Oh, so I'm getting abducted by the sunbeam again. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> Becky's gonna go missing and she's gonna get abducted by aliens yeah. like if there's anyone a beam ever on her face <laughs> my next episode will be about the disappearance of Becky Klaushko <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so good I can't wait to hear it in uh, my disappeared state <laughs> um, so yeah they were treating it as a murder investigation but the case was entirely circumstantial they, they, they just didn't have any solid evidence of a murder it's one of those things where they're like I'm sure that you did this yeah but, but I cannot but you, prove it for you the You covered of your tracks so well that we just can't find any sign of mm. these people at so all. So frustrating. Which is, and again, they didn't, they searched the property and they didn't find a murder. That fucking land up. So once this was all kind of coming out and people were hearing about the fraud, of course, because mm-hmm. that was public and they were convicted for that. Yeah. And more people were looking into this. The community did get really upset when they started to hear about the conditions of these retirement homes. And they were hearing about the fraud and mistreatment and neglect and abuse and everything. So people were just – naturally, they were upset, yeah. rightfully so. So neighbors started to speak up and and talk about weird things that they had witnessed 
in and around the land property that maybe before they didn't think were that weird, but now they're yeah. thinking, oh, this might mean something. Yeah. Sometimes that's why I like re-questioning can help because like, yeah, you don't really realize something's weird until someone's like, hey, something weird might have happened here. Like, yeah. Well, Xander Sherman in, um, so I listened to a podcast, uh, called Uncover, which is a CBC podcast that he produced with CBC. And he talked to a woman who I think her property was next to the land properties. It sounds like it was very, very close. If anything, she said she discovered a set of false teeth on her property. Okay. Which is crazy. That's I mean, not something that is not something you just stumble upon. That's not like that's not even like a ring or a necklace or something. That's false teeth where like yeah. you can't no one would just be like, oh yeah, I don't need my false teeth anymore. Unless you're just like, I mean come out the window. At that point, but why would they <laughs> be you're just at that point? <laughs> you're just like, I don't want my teeth anymore. But why would they be on her property yeah. in the middle of nowhere? So weird. Weird. I think it's weird. Yep. The land's retirement homes were rightfully shut down by authorities. Good. It should also be noted that the Retirement Homes Act didn't come into effect in Ontario until 2010. So when this whole thing was going on and they started their retirement properties, residences in the early to mid 90s, the lands had never had to be screened or questioned about the legitimacy of their businesses. Which is fucked. Yes. And at the time, Muskoka had no local bylaws regulating retirement homes either. So... Basically, you could just start a retirement home. You didn't, you weren't accountable to anyone or any yeah. sort of regulations. And I, just like a small business. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that stories like this is what spawned the Retirement Homes Act in the first place. Yeah. Is this isn't the first case of its kind. Yeah. There, we hear, we've heard a lot of stories about this yes. stuff happening. And the Retirement Homes Act came out in 2010 to kind of prevent this from happening. Yeah. Or at Some, least make it much more like difficult yeah. for people to do this. And sometimes it takes crimes like these to put the necessary regulations in place, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I, it's, it is unfortunate that this had to happen for that to be yeah. put in place. Because you look back, hindsight says it should have been in place yeah. long before that. But if everything was going smoothly up until that point and then now you're finding out about all of these yeah. messed up cases – then you're like, okay, I guess we need we need to put uh, put this in yeah. place. So Walter, Paul, and Catherine all served their conditional sentences. And after they were released in 2003, they all moved out of the Muskoka area, as did their brother David, apparently. Uh, by 2007, there was an OPP officer who talked to the media about the investigation, and he said they had officially ruled out that these missing people had died of natural causes. They, again, tracked hospital records and other homeless shelters and everything they could possibly do. Mm-hmm. They truly believed that if they were still alive, they would have found them by now. And this yeah. is 2007. So yeah. that's more than 10 years on. Yeah. There are many areas that people believe the bodies could be. But in all of the properties owned by the lands at that time, there is so much land and the police would need something more than just speculation to justify the resources for a search. So they're just sort of like, again, they don't have any hard evidence. Yeah. And there's people who are like, oh, I think it could be there. Or witnesses like Bob Earl, where he's like, I think it could be there. But, but they don't. Yeah. It's not enough to get a warrant to Let's search it. Let's just take matters into our own hands and go start digging up the land. I mean, <laughs> it's I'm a in. lot of, it's going to be a lot of land. 
I'm in. I know. I know. I think like I would love nothing more than if they were like, we're just going to scour all of this and we're going to find yeah. something. But um, like I said, in, in investigative journalist Xander Sherman, who is actually from the Muskoka area, I think that's why he was so drawn to this case. Fair enough. Yeah. Began researching it in 2014. In 2017, he wrote a magazine article in The Walrus called Cottage Country Murder. The Walrus. I like that. Yeah. It's like a <laughs> magazine. I get, Like a big magazine, I guess. I didn't even hear. I didn't even know walrus. about it. Um, I am the walrus. Yep. <laughs> Um, so he detailed his research in this article and consulted on CBC's The Fifth Estates episode called Murder in Cottage Country. Sherman went on to host the fourth season of CBC's Uncover, which, um, sorry, CBC is Canada, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation for anyone who doesn't yeah. know that. And so this is the, the season that I listen to. So it's, I believe it's season four. Yeah, season four. Uh, called The Cat Lady is yeah. the name of the season. So he hosted season four detailing all of his research and his entire investigation, which covers the disappearance of Joan Lawrence and Ralph and yeah. John Crofts and John Semple. And because of, I believe, the publicity this brought to the case, it prompted the OPP to hold its first ever press conference related to Joan's disappearance and suspected homicide in July of 2019. That wasn't that long ago. No, not that long ago. So it seems like Xander Sherman brought enough publicity to this yeah. case to be like, it's been at that point it's almost been, 20 sorry, years I, I on. Had to. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been almost 20 years on, and like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. Seriously, like how I, You're I think that's on kind of thumbs, like, and the, I'm not jabbing at the OPP. I'm no. just, I think that's, that was his mindset where he's like, and he went and talked to a lot of witnesses that said they hadn't been interviewed by the OPP. Yeah. So he's kind of conducting his own investigation in parallel with the OPP's investigation. Mm -hmm. And in the podcast, there are parts where he does talk to Rob Matthews and he does talk to people related to the OPP, he doesn't have, because it's an ongoing investigation, they can't like explicitly talk about it, but he has access to Aaron Burke's ITOs, which is information to obtains, which is basically like a play-by-play -play of her investigation and what she's looking for. So she never spoke to him directly, but he got access to that. And he does a very detailed account of everything he's, he's discovered up until this point. I would highly recommend it. Yeah. I, I got it. It's this what I've covered today is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot. There's a lot of shit that he that it. he He's talks about. Up. Even he talks about researching for the fifth estate and they they've tracked down where all of the land family members are <laughs> now. Most of them. Ron Allen is unknown. But they've tracked down David and Walter, I believe. Uh, I think David. It's like funny because in the podcast, it's like, oh, we approached him in like a McDonald's parking lot. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I got to see this that. documentary. Yeah. Imagine like with a Big Mac in his hand. And he's like, oh, he's like, I need my lunch. <laughs> apparently, they tracked Catherine Lan to she went apparently and was working at a school in Barrie for okay. a while. And then. I think Xander Sherman tracked her to Gravenhurst and he was like, she was, she's like, was, she's been living in the same town as me. So I think oh. he lives in Gravenhurst and was like, and she's living here. And he found out that she like has used so many different like versions of her name. She's now calling herself a doctor of naturopathy and, uh. and she, she's not like, no. he's like, I've talked to the school of naturopaths and like they can't find She's her name anywhere yeah. like all of so like they have tracked most of them one of them one of the brothers went and worked in 
Korea as a teacher. Okay. But then like, I guess CBC was trying to get in contact with a news team there and they, they like traded information. And then like a news team there went and like talked to the school and he got fired because I'm assuming they're like, well, we didn't know about this. Yeah. So just, oh, there's so much stuff that's not like anything up to date as far as the investigation, but more where they are now. And I guess where the investigation is, there is a bonus episode that covers the press conference okay. that the OPP basically yeah, <laughs> just talked about, like, this is what we have right now, but we still need people to come forward and, and talk to us. If there's anything that anybody knows about this, I know we have a lot of listeners in Ontario. So yeah. And I, like I said, I have a lot, family yeah. in Huntsville. I just talked to them yesterday and they were like, <laughs> my aunt and uncle were like, yes, like we know exactly what you're talking about. We saw her in town all the time. Um, everyone knew her. Yeah. So someone knows something. Someone knows. I was just going to say, I'm going to quote the other CBC podcast that I absolutely love. And it's called Someone Knows Something. And it's the perfect name because it's so true. It's true. Somebody knows something about this case. And if any of our listeners like were adults during that time in the area and you think you know something or talk yeah. to your parents or your aunts and uncles they they might they just might have a memory of something or living in the area yeah. like these people that lived on properties close yeah. to the lands property that just kind of saw up. something and were like i guess that's weird but then didn't think anything of it until you heard about this yeah everything is important it's true every little detail helps yeah. So if if anyone does have any information who's listening to this, then contact the Ontario Provincial Police because it still yeah. is an open investigation and they are adamant that they are still actively pr- pursuing yeah. their suspects, which are Ron and Walter Lan and the whole Lan family, it seems like. Like they have admitted that those are their prime suspects. Get them. I say get them. Let's get them. Oh my. Get down. Let's get down to business. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That song's going to take on a whole new meaning. Yeah. I just feel like you have already been proven guilty of doing something Something. so atrocious, which is manipulating elderly people out of their very little money. You're terrible people in my mind. You're already the worst of the worst people. It's not that far of a stretch to link you to murder. And one of you guys killed a bunch of cats. And the police have said, like, we would explore other suspects if we had any. Yeah. There's 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 no other viable suspects. You know something. Yeah. Then sure. Like, let them know. But they're like, we have not received any tips or any witness accounts or anything that have pointed to anybody else. Yeah. So it's not looking good for the land family. And I hope to see an arrest made one day. In our lifetime, it will happen. I freaking hope so. If I have to dig up the property myself, I will do so. They did say they have Jones DNA. So good. They do have that. That's helpful. Yeah, I know. Also, yeah, familial DNA too. Like if you feel like you're related to any of these people that have gone missing, submit your DNA to Mm -hmm. the OPP because that does help. Well, they that the, this is how they found out everything about Joan's life in the like CBC and Xander Sherman and everyone working in that team was through familiar familial DNA mm-hmm. and like ancestry family trees and all that. And there's like a CBC article where they tracked down a member of her family who's um, Sherry Churchill, who her mother was Joan's cousin. Okay, so she's I guess like her cousin once removed, once removed, something like that, something yeah. like that. 
um, and she lives in Florida. And I guess she gave an account of why she thinks that Joan, why it happened that like she kind of just moved away from the family and no one kept in touch. Yeah. But she said if we like if we had known that like looking at the shack that she lived in, she quote in this article says if anyone in the family had known about that, we'd have come in there with shotguns. And that's fair to say because, like, yeah. you, you don't really know something bad's happening until after the yeah. fact sometimes. And this per- this woman didn't even really know her, but she's like, I would love if they could find her remains. I would love to bury her in the Ottawa Cemetery where With the rest close of the to where she was or, born. Like, yeah. she deserves a burial. She was like, I didn't even know her, but I feel connected to her. Yeah, she's no my family. What. I would really love to be able to, to bury her and, and give her, like – Closure. Like put her at peace, you know? Rest, yep. So there are family members of these people that have gone missing that really want answers. Yeah. And it's so we demand tragic. Answers. Yes. Like, yeah. So like I said, this is this is an open investigation. There's still hope. There, there is. is hope. Yeah. I think there's enough to go on that we're gonna be in the right direction soon. Yeah. If the investigation continues at mm-hmm. the pace that it should continue at. Yeah. Yes. And like I said, go and check out Uncover, CBC's mm-hmm. Uncover. It's mm-hmm. a fantastic podcast. I'm going to listen to the other seasons too. I don't know what they're about. Yeah. They're all about different cases, but um, Someone Knows Something is also a good one if anyone's looking for, like, yeah. these are all investigative podcasts, which I absolutely love. Like, just like a, like, it's, oh. it's like, it feels like good old fashioned detective work. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, old fashioned. <laughs> like the the podcast that I've listened to, like someone knows something in this one. It's like it satisfies that craving it, yeah. in me to like be an investigator, but I can't be one. Yeah. So they're yeah, doing it for me. Yeah. We don't want to be cops first. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But like, it, should we just be like investigative podcasters? And well, I mean, our... I was thinking oh, about that. I'm like, but yeah. How have I not mentioned this? By the way, Drew told me to keep. <laughs> To get your private investigator license, it's only eighty dollars. What? <laughs> Shut. So we we both talked about how that's not that much money. Like I know eighty bucks is a lot of money, but like we're like that's really not that much. Should we just like pay for the title? But do you have to? But do you have to prove anything? Do you have to prove that you have like the? I gotta ask him capabilities? again. I don't think so. I think it's just like an application you submit to like Service Ontario, and you literally. <laughs> have a license to be a private investigator which i'm gonna do (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do it oh my gosh we should have done it before we started the podcast and then we're like i didn't know private investigators becky and ailey okay well we can always update it okay (laughs) okay guys everyone listening up to this point just we've always been private investigators. yeah just shut your mouths (laughs) we just didn't pay the 80 dollar fee we've always been private investigators just not like legally yeah (laughs) So yeah, sorry I had to interrupt you because I just like that's, it popped back no, into that's my amazing. head because we literally just talked about it two days ago. Because I was like thinking I'm like about Xander Sherman. I'm like, well, he's like an investigative journalist though. Like he probably went to journal like I'm journalism sure he can school. The eighty dollars and so, got the license. <laughs> like, no, I mean like I can't go down that route either. Is what I'm saying. I can't oh. go back to school and become a journalist. Like that's I'm too sure, much. I'm sure you could, but no, it's but just I don't too want much. to. It would yeah. be the same as me becoming a cop. Like I just don't want. I don't want. I don't want the extra work. Yeah. It's so much I don't time. Have to lift a I just want to <laughs> wake up one day and be an investigator. Yeah. And now you've given me that opportunity. I just want to wake up tomorrow and be like the FBI's top profiler. So I mean, like, is that too much to ask? Like, is, that, is it really no. too difficult? It no, is. Isn't it's it? not. It's not. It's gonna happen. I mean, watch out, world. Watch here out, we come. World. Here we go. Eighty bucks later. Here we fucking go. <laughs> so. You did great. That was awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Well, it felt uh, it was again recommended to me by Heather. Thanks, Heather. Thank you, Heather. 
and um she she was just sort of like this yeah. is kind of local as far as it's ontario I and it's something that yeah. she was like it if you look into it you'll understand why yeah i'm recommending this it's very sinister it's very sad and and there's yeah something that needs to be someone knows something figured out by yeah. yeah because it's still unsolved so i'm really glad she recommended it thank you yep and i hope justice for justice for joan and for all well, the men our, our investigative licenses we're gonna find we're gonna find something gonna figure it out yeah we're gonna so. go we're gonna go dig yep because we'll have the license to do so. Yeah. And then we'll find something and the police will be like, we can't use this because you were illegally on the property. And we'll be like, no, no, no. But we're PIs. We're licensed PIs. <laughs> and they'll be like, it doesn't matter. You just ruined our investigation. $80. Like you just. <laughs> so yeah, on that note. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sign up to be super cool and join our cult of extremely awesome people who love true crime at www.patreon.com slash how to not get killed. And if you ever want to chat and connect with us, you can send us an email to howtonotgetkilled at gmail.com. Or you can DM us or comment on our posts on Instagram at howtonotgetkilled. And you can follow us on tweeters, tweeters at h2ngk. And you can also check out our website and shop our merch at www.howtonotgetkilled.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. And keep it sleazy. Bye. Bye. Thank you.